Coca, su naray, su naray en ti. 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 Hello, hi, welcome back to this new episode of the Mango TV podcast. Today is one of my special format, which is the Psychedelic Confessions. We have back to the podcast Geronimo Mazzarassa, dear friend and uh, in first mentor in this world of plant medicine. Um, he produced a documentary called The Jungle Prescription 15 years ago, <laughs> when um, all the experts were very young and, and with uh, black hair. Um, I'm not going to read your bio. Recently, I got a bit bored about reading people's bio. So I'm asking, can you introduce yourself in two minutes? Yes. Um, hello. Thank you for having me, Giancarlo. Glad to be here. I am, um, my name is Geronimo Mazarraza, and I am a social innovation director of the ICERS Foundation. Social means groups of people, and innovation means new things. So my job uh, revolves around getting groups of people to do new things. In this case, The focus of my work, um, it's the integration of plant medicines and plant medicine practices into uh, Western societies. Now, obviously, these practices are not new. They're very, very old, but they're new for us. Um, and this is where the innovation part comes in. I'm particularly fascinated with the fact that um, when we look at the at the cultures of origin these plants are very much revered respected and and not only that they have a very valuable space in the society you know i'm talking about tobacco coca ayahuasca peyote etc but uh, up to this point or up to very very recently every time that these plants had arrived outside of the cultures of origin and they came to us instead of becoming the same blessing that they were for the cultures of origin, they became quite of a curse for us. And you can see this with tobacco, with coca, with many things. So I'm fascinated by the fact that the same plants can be blessings in some societies and curses in others. And I'm trying to think about, as these plants arrive to our society, how we can make them more of a blessing and less of a curse. And if we, uh, and I would like to, a lot of my work has to do with thinking of possible futures or imagine possible possible futures in which these plants are not only integrated in our society so they can be practiced safely and legally, but also they become, you know, as beneficial for us as, as we can see they are in the cultures of origin. Amazing. And for people that want to know more about uh, um, what Jerome just described, there is the first episode with him where he goes a little bit more in depth about cultural appropriation and themes like that. And also he mentioned I see years, Um, and we had um, Ben Delonen, which is the founder and manager of this uh, foundation charity, to, to educate and facilitate the integration of this medicine in the West that you can also check on the Mango TV podcast. But now we are here for confessions. So we want the raw personal experience around this medicine. You know, as I always say, There is a lot of information about psychedelic, but I feel there's not enough personal recollection. You know, how was it for you? How did it make you feel? How did it impact your life? How did you integrate this download to your life? And, and, and so we're going to go chronologically, substance by substance, like we've done for so many psychedelic confessions. Um, so 
uh, we discussed a little bit already. So for you, the first mind-altering substance was LSD. How, oh no, first cannabis, cannabis. So how was your encounter with cannabis? Was a love at first sight? Describe it in details, how it makes you feel and everything. I would I would I would start by saying that you know perhaps I wasn't um the 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 usual candidate for um um for illegal drugs um in our society I was uh, I was sort of a good boy I got good grades I've always been kind of a nerd not much of a rebellious type so, uh and generally sort of on the straight path um so I arrived to cannabis, I think, kind of late compared to other people I know. Um, and um, how late? How old were you? I was like seventeen or eighteen. Uh-huh. And um, and what it and 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 what it did was, you know, which I think this happens to everybody is is the first thing it, it does is to realize that what you have been told by the news media and by the you know by all of this you know this I'm talking about the nineties you know. I was living in the United States, just say no to drugs there. All of these things were very strong, very, very, very big part of it. And he was also in the midst of the crack epidemic. I was living in D.C., uh, which is, you know, particularly sort of, and this was very, very present. So, you know, there was this sort of uh, mainstream narrative around how evil and dangerous uh, these substances were and how toxic. And, and then, of course, when you tried yourself, the first thing you realize is you haven't been told the whole truth. Um, it's not that these substances uh, don't have their dangers. Of course they do. And, and they're powerful substances and all powerful things have dangers, like a backhoe or like a fire or like a knife. But they can also be incredibly useful tools. So, you know, the first thing that surprised me also, like I said, from a very sort of, because I came from a very sort of, I don't know, nerdish approach was just how much I was learning, how much I was learning about things I didn't know. For example, music became, uh, you know, I, I suddenly found myself with this ability to sort of listen so intently to music and pick out the different instruments and realize what the structure of the song was and how things were built and what was happening next. And it seemed like I had never quite heard music like that before. Um, and so that things things were opening there, things were opening. And then... I would say, you know, the other thing that opened at the, at, the, at the social level is that you sort of join the secret society suddenly of people that know. And this makes for all sorts of social opportunities, new friends, new conversations, new research. So that was the other thing that sort of it, it, it opened me to sort of, it's just you sort of walk through the secret door. That just with, just with cannabis. Just with cannabis, yeah. because then you join this sort of parallel world where like, you know, people, the people that are taking cannabis, they sort of hide to do it. They were hiding to do it. But then there's so many of them and then they live sort of parallel lives where in front of so many people, they act like this is not happening. And they're, so, you know, all of these, uh, uh, very uh, normal, productive members of society actually had a parallel secret life, um, and uh, that was that was a very, um, yeah, for me, very engaging, very, 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 very interesting. So I became, you know, fascinated with the topic. Like I've become in my life fascinated with many topics, and I've just sort of gone deeper and deeper into research and reading and all of this, and you know, cannabis sort of opened that door. It give you like a sense of belonging, you know. Yeah, it just it just opened the. Uh, it was it was like a whole other 
you know, dimension of life mm -hmm. and living and experiencing the world that I hadn't imagined existed suddenly was opened and uh, I, I became very, very interested in this. So like um, a, a way to maybe being more empathic, to connect with people on a more, you know, heart to heart, seeing them on a different light as a human being, more, more vulnerable, more mm -hmm. impassion and empathy, but also an increase in creativity, you think? Increasing creativity, of course, yes. With uh, you get so engaged with you know any of these activities yeah. as you were working or do, or doing or cooking or or making music or anything. So it just it just yeah. it, it it became um, it increased it increased the senses. But so what is the downfall? What is the the cons of this medicine? The the downfall for me, you know, I I I, I, I sort of realized, and this was you know I became quite you know um, you know a regular user, and this went on for ten or fifteen years. Even in the morning? Ah, uh, no, 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 only on, at the end of the day. At the end on the weekends and stuff. I mean, I, I didn't find it particularly. Obviously, first of all, it's not, it's not, it doesn't help with work unless your work is individual and creative. Uh, I think, generally speaking, it's sort of it, it because it makes um, small things so interesting and powerful. It can be quite distracting, so it's very useful for certain types of things that require concentration. And but if you have to, you know, manage many things, and you know, then then you know, again, different people. Are, are, I had a friend who was studying engineering, and he would smoke a joint and 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 study physics. You know, this was beyond my my understanding how he could do that but some people some people also can yeah yeah also it in sometimes it, it for so many for many people it creates a sense of um you 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 imagine outcome that are not happening you um you know i as you know i had a problem with cannabis mm. and and i was smoking earlier and earlier during the day and um you go like you know in a in a in a, in a wishful thinking approach and and in business, you just project your enthusiasm that is not there. You know, there is a little bit of um, uh, a sense of... Um, a booster, yeah. And and this was my big sort of realization. Like I say, it came, I don't know, 10 or 15 years later. I yeah. was, I remember I was, I, was, I was in the back of the car, of a car, and some friends were driving, and I was, I, we had smoked, and I was quite high. And uh, I, was, I was lost in my mind in this reverie of things and thoughts, and, and suddenly I realized, you know, I'm I'm in this place, and this is what I'm thinking about. But actually, I'm sitting in the back of a car in sort of fetal, almost like fetal position, yeah. and this is what I'm actually am. I'm just a quiet person in the back of a car, yeah. lost in his own mind reveries. You know, like suddenly I was able to see myself from the outside. I, I will I will bring here the traditional cultures because they're always an inspiration for me because they have had much longer relationship to these things, so they they manage to sort of. Um, you know, uh, increase the benefits and lower the the harms of this by default because they had to live with these substances and and survive with them. In Morocco, where smoking uh, hash. Uh, hash and hash is, came, came later, but you know, especially cannabis, kif is you know very very old tradition. There is a there is a sort of um, social norm that it's not it's it's not considered okay for young and very young people to uh, smoke cannabis. This is because they say it makes them distracted and it makes them lazy and young people should work. Mm. And then as people get older, the sort of social uh, uh, permi permissivity about using cannabis gets higher and higher and higher. And then when you're an old man, you can smoke all the cannabis you want. Mm, and nobody, nobody, uh, and that's because when you're an old man in Morocco, very often you're sitting outside your house 
staring into the street and that's what you do most of the day. And of course for this, <laughs> cannabis is perfect. <laughs> cannabis is perfect. So there is, again, you know, powerful substances require a, a, an adequate context, a wrapper, an envelope that will actually, you know, put them in a place where they become useful to the society instead of, in, in, instead of, uh, um, and when you look at at the traditional cultures that have a relationship with this, you always find that this sort of knowledge, this wisdom, these best practices are already there. So that's what I would say about 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 cannabis. The people that have been using it the longest, they really appreciate it, but they understand that there's uh, better times and better places and better circumstances to do it than others. In India, where hash is you know very very popular. Um, um, or you know, it has a very long history. It is used as a meditation tool, and this is also very so. You know, shadows and you know, and people who basically their entire lives the chadas, uh, yeah. uh, have to do with you know engaging and 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 relating to your inner world and to your thoughts, and and you need to be in a state of presence and you're practicing this thing. Then, in these circumstances, also it becomes very very useful. Mm-hmm. But it could be that you know if you're in the in the moment where you're running a business and you're talking to you know fifty people all the time, perhaps perhaps coffee is better. <laughs> it's a more it's a more it's a more indicated helper for those circumstances. So you know when when one thinks of these um, of these plants and substances as as not as drugs but as helpers, then you understand that there's there's certain places where they help best and certain places where they don't help at all. And then you can begin to make informed decisions uh, uh, and to really, you know, uh, get, get, get the benefits and minimize the harms. Yeah, yeah. But so I remember once you told me that your father said that there's two types of smokers, those that can't stop and those that can't continue. Yeah. Wh- when did you decide that you could continue, you could not continue? It was very. I don't. I don't remember the exact date. I don't. I don't feel that I left. That I quit cannabis. I feel cannabis quit me. Uh, so in that sense, it was very, very easy. It was not a conscious. It was not a conscious decision. It was not a matter of will. It was not. It was very, very easy. It was. This, it was the same experience. The experience hadn't changed at all. But I found that I stopped enjoying it. Mm. Perhaps because I'd overdone it, and, yeah. it, and it had been in too many places, in too many circumstances. Yeah. So you know the they you know they had some somebody also told me that one a person starts smoking cannabis because it makes everything a little bit different a little bit more interesting, and the same person stops smoking cannabis for the, the exact same reason. same reason. Yeah, that's well said. Mm. You know, Graham Hancock says that every plant has a spirit and a spirit has a personality. So the 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 ayahuasca is the you know grandmother who's like you know loving grandmother and iboga is the stern grandfather and the peyote whatever the funny uncle but cannabis is the trickster <laughs> and 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 is a jealous trickster so it's um, it you know it, it gives you the illusion that it helps reducing the anxiety but sometimes the anxiety is caused by the withdrawal so it tricks you in believing that you know you need it. Um, and, and and then you know it's 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 jealous in the way that it's very seductive and it's very easy to to abuse. I know many people. I wouldn't say most of them that they think they're using, but really they are abusing. And then they will say things like, "Oh, but I can stop any time." Okay, great. When was the last time you stopped? Uh, Thirty years ago. <laughs> so anyway, that was very well said. Thank you very much. So the second compound we're going to discuss is LSD. How was your encounter with LSD? I mean, 
you know, we, we, we have a long history going all the way to the 50s and 60s that, you know, you know, LSD is a, it's a, it's a, there is a, a before and after in most people's lives mm. um, out of this. It, that's what it, it, it made this, you know, a tremendous um, a cultural uh, revolution in the 60s. You know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a very, it's a substance that will definitely, um, change your understanding it will change your understanding of things of yourself and on reality now for you personally for me it was like one step higher on this same thing you know like i said you know i was never i i don't have i don't have a very like addictive or or like sort of you know this sort of personality that always wants more you know with alcohol and with whatever you know but i'm very interesting very interested in learning so you know with the thing the thing with lsd is that I always felt after an LSD night that in the morning I had learned something very, very important that I couldn't have learned any other way. And this, because I'm a nerd, became fascinating for me. You know, I, 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 I tried to, you know, um, I, I, I was, I, I kept going back to it. And it was also the beginning of my interest in the history of these compounds. And I began to read more about the history of, of, of of drugs and the history of plants and what happened with LSD and you know all the, the you know and shamanism the origins all of this it was it was it was the, it was the beginning of you know a wormhole uh, sort of a research wormhole wormhole which is my nature to sort of pick a topic and just go into it um, and and LSD definitely provoked this this you know tremendous interest in this and at the same time. I could tell that some nights were better than others and some nights were kind of stupid and and some nights I felt like it just been a waste of time sometimes and that and that there was actually it wasn't just the substances and it wasn't just me but it was a whole set of circumstances that would you know uh, uh, facilitate or not a process of learning or a or a process of personal growth and this also was always very present uh, in my in my quest. Do you remember your first time? Yes, I took it uh, with my cousin in Amsterdam. And <laughs> we How were, were you? Uh, we, I was like 19, I think. And uh, it we, was a big dose. Do you remember? It was big enough. And uh, <laughs> we, we we were we were we were trying we were trying to make it to Vondel Park, and we were going to spend the day there. And we never made it to Vondel Park. We stayed in a much smaller park, on the way to Vondel Park. And we just sat in the grass. It was a beautiful sunny day, and you know we didn't move. You know we weren't capable of doing much other than just sitting there and staring at each other in disbelief, and just sort of you know. Yeah. But you know Stan, Stan Groff, that um, you know he 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 was the first one that was sent a batch of LSD from Sandoz when they discovered it, who has been supervising thousands of LSD sessions, who's considered one of the godfather of of uh, LSD-assisted psychotherapy, he says that the real benefit starts, you know, in high dose, when you have a, a um, you know, ego death, when you have a psychological death. Have you ever had one of those? No, um, not, not, not with LSD, but I would say, you know, Stan Groff had, a, uh, had a, a psychiatric hospital under his care, so he had 24-hour uh, watch, he had doctors, he had, you know, padded rooms, uh, so he had a very, very different context where you could give people very, very high doses of LSD and they could do an ego loss and you could just sort of bring them back and care for them. The way I was doing it, you know, in parties in the street of Amsterdam, concert, in yeah. a concert, in whatever, I think it would be a really bad idea totally. to do it. 
Okay. And as I'm, I'm glad I did, I never went that far, and I'm glad I didn't in the sense that you know because the context was not right. Yeah. And for people who have accidentally overdosed or taken really large doses on LSD in very public places with not the right support, it turns into an absolute nightmare. Disaster, yeah, 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 yeah. An absolute nightmare. Have you heard about this professor of theology from Middle America called Christopher Bash? You know, he wrote mm. this. It took for 20 years high dose LSD, like two three times a year. Um, and then he wrote this book, um, which I don't remember. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and uh, he had like, you know, he says that once you take high dose LSD and you go on the other side, mm -hmm. you know, um, when you do it again and again so regularly, you basically are accepted. You know, you become a resident of this realm. Mm -hmm. And so he has been. I went to. I didn't read the book, but I I assisted to to a conf, to a talk by him where. He said that he was really, you know, connecting with the future of humankind, and uh, and he saw the the future of of the, the superhuman. He calls it, and he, it was it was it was very touchy. And uh, I always been tempted to 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 do the the 300, 400 microgram, and and see and and you know go on the other side because um, you know that's what all the uh, intellectual and, and 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 writer and philosopher of, from Aldous Huxley and uh, that they talk about, you know, or they talk about the, you know, the door of perception and the other side, and um, and um, yeah. But um, I, I always chickened out. Are you curious to do a high dose in a controlled environment? The thing is, this this for me is the shamanic path. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's that space. I, in my understanding, that he's talking about. This is this is uh, you know similar to you know shamans would tell the same story. Um, there's a reason why in in those in you know in indigenous societies there's only one or two shamans because that that path you know going to that place and then being able to come back and uh, integrate it requires a level of discipline and and a level of sort of um you know training it, training yeah it's like running it's like running a marathon right you you have to be in shape in order to be able to run a marathon and and, and get and get the uh, and get healthier by doing this. If you're not in proper shape, then you'll twist your ankle. You, you know, the marathon will not. So, you know, in later in life, as I became, you know, closer to shamanic practices, and I did a lot of dietas and a lot of retreats, and you know, I've, I've a number of times I've gotten closer to sort of the edge of that sort of, I would call it, let's call it the shamanic realms, or you can call it the other worlds or whatever. And every time I made the conscious decision that I didn't want to go there. Because that's not that's not what I came looking for in these plants. I came looking for you know self knowledge, self healing. I came looking for keys to this reality. I'm not that curious about the astral worlds. I am. I I have I've been with a lot of people and spoken to a lot of people through the years that are that are that delve in those worlds. Um, it is. They're not making stuff up. You know, I, uh, the, the experience they describe are real. There's no doubt in my mind. But again, for myself, you know, again, I think the useful question is why. You know, what what is your what is your purpose? What is your objective? Why are you going there? What are you trying to get out? Uh, because because it's like you know, if you imagine, if you make a metaphor of another environment, like say whatever the the North Pole or the jungle. You know, of course, you can visit the North Pole and you can visit the jungle. You know, but why are you there just to watch? Are you trying to learn something? Because these are environments that have very sort of rigid 
laws about what you can do and what you cannot do. The dangers are very real. You know, you, the, the, the jungle can be a very welcoming place if you know how to survive there, or it can kill you very, very quickly if you don't know what you're doing. And the same goes for the North Pole and the same goes for these places. In my understanding, the sort of that other place, the sort of the, the, the shamanic realms, it comes with its own rules and, 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 and it comes with its own, uh, uh, you know, yeah. And I don't know this, I don't know those rules. So why would I, uh, um, why, why, why would, you know, the curiosity, <laughs> curiosity is not, is not enough, you know, and my, my curiosity and the conversations and the stories I've heard from other people are enough for me to sort of think, okay, I get that, I'm not going there. I see, this is so interesting because this is a very current topic for me, um, you know, what what I call the other side, you know, can be a different realm, like you know the North Pole or the jungle, with their own set of rules and danger, and but can also be a mystical experience. It can also be um, an experience of 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 divinity. But then at this point, I feel that um, why would you go and 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 have a connection with divinity, with source, with some sort of cosmic design? I think because it would enrich you and it would complete you and it would maybe even help you with your healing. I mean, having a metaphysical experience, which is the experiential understanding of a grand design yeah, of mind, spirit. mind at the large. Spirit. The spirit. Yes. Spirit. The spirit. Well, but so I, I find it, if anything else, extremely Beautiful, reassuring. Um, I, you know, I did, as you know, the last 10, 15 years, a lot of psychedelic experience. And but I had maybe two uh, mystical experiences: one with the Favemio um, DMT, where I went to heaven, um, and it was a little bit uh, fleeting. But you know, that sense of embounded compassion and, 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 and love. And, and, you know, for the first time, I think in my life, I felt really whole. Mm. I felt really accepted. A little bit what you were saying about cannabis and your peer, mm. you know, a similar sense of belonging that is extremely therapeutical. And then again, recently with the, um, the three hours holotropic breath work, mm. I went through the portal and I was on the other side with spirit with with this it's 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 like a force it's like an energy which is associated with a sense of awe and gratitude and respect and honor and and belonging and it just gave me such a power in continue to help others it gave a sense of purpose and meaning you know, I, it's funny because, you know, people think that I'm such a big expert on psychedelic, they invite me to podcast, but I'm just starting to explore the high, the, I don't know, high dose, but I'm just starting to understand, you know, the ego death, the, the, the metaphysical, what does a metaphysical experience really means? Yes. I mean, I think that's what we're all looking for. When, when, I, when I spoke about shamanic realms, I meant... Um, and other dimensions when, when one encounters other beings that seem to have, you know, uh, their own agency, 
uh, uh, that that uh, you know have conversations with you or offer you things or and you know th- and this this is what I mean about the shamanic uh, you know I think what you describe is still at the at the edge of the personal realization you know it it's it's you know a, a friend of mine someone I learned a lot from said you know the 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 uh, the the thing is in that other world there's very useful stuff for your life now the 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 art of this is how you bring that that is in the other world into your everyday life because that's the objective you go every once in a while when you need this and you reach to that and then you bring this to enrich your everyday life because we are incarnated bodies in a material world that is very very stubborn you know <laughs> it doesn't there's this this sort of consensual reality is quite stubborn right it doesn't it go it, it, it doesn't go away yeah. Um, and what can you do that will help you with this, you know, stubborn part of reality? The, it turns on itself when the idea is, oh, I found such wonderful things there, I have to be there all the time. Then you're then you're inversing the actual order. Yeah, uh, then, and, then it becomes spiritual materialism. And then it just becomes an endless quest to be in yeah. that place, and then, of course, then, then your material... So you know, of, of course, on the, this, 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 these experiences are very real, very powerful. But there's two things that I think you know. There's sort of a focus in our culture, you know, also in my own process on on these experiences. And I was missing big, big chunks of something that is again very, very uh, uh, stark, very black and white in in traditional cultures, which is like one: what are you going to do with this information? What are what are you going to do with these informations? What are they going to turn into? And second, and I think this is this, the, the hardest part for us, is that transformative experiences, you know, are, they're not so hard. You know, with, with certain drugs, certain substances, you can do it. Even with certain fasts, with certain retreats, you can make somebody have a very powerful experience. However, and this is, for example, in indigenous cultures, initiation rituals. You know, they will take kids into the woods and they will, they will, they will, they will go through some terrible ordeal. You know, and and in this experience that they have, they become they have to reach for their own strength, their own resources, and they return a different person by this experience. But they don't stay a different person because they had the experience. They stay a different person because everybody in the community recognizes the experience that they have had, and they change their relationship to them. And this is the part that we are missing in our culture. If you don't have a community that is witness and that acknowledges the fact that you're having these powerful experiences and that you're now different. If your life outside of the experience you had pretty much remains the same because you're not making any changes and because the, the, the society around you are not recognizing the changes in you, then 60 or 70% of the power of these experiences is lost. It just sort of slides back into normality. Yes. You know, and this is this is the part where we are, I think very new at this yeah and and making mistakes yeah. and and focusing on things that are not necessarily the most important yeah but so let's leave that for the ayahuasca section mm. because i will still try to keep a little bit the psychedelic confession format mm. so we spoke about lsd um did you give goodbye to lsd like with with cannabis or it's something that you revisit once in a while uh, yeah, once in a while, I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I find it, and it, it always made. I have, I have, a, I have an injury on my back, and it always made it hurt, and I find that that always returns. Mm. So it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, it's an amazing compound, but really, what happened to me was that when I entered, um, I begin to visit indigenous communities and, and see that 
everything changed for yeah. me. But before before that, what came, what followed the the LSD was you know the '90s electronic music and M- MDMA. MDMA. That was a good segue. Okay, MD- let's talk about MDMA. You know what, what 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 can you say about MDMA? I mean, it's it's um. I only recently learned that the way MDMA works is not by uh, making you uh, love everything and everybody and yourself, which is what it felt like, but actually it it works by taking away fear. And when fear is gone, then love follows. So for me, the encounter with MDMA and, you know, and I was, you know, going to clubs and electronic music and I was living in Amsterdam was very much a ball of love. Suddenly I met this group of people and we were going out and we were taking MDMA and we were just, you know, hugging each other and nonstop. We were just like a ball, you know, we just sort of ended up just, 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 a, just a puddle of people in a couch. You couldn't, you know, you wanted to be as close as everybody, as to everybody as you could. And it felt so good. And we were all so nice to each other and so happy being nice to each other. And the music was so good. And, and it was just, you know, so when I, that 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 was that was that was a very very beautiful very healing place for me in ways that I didn't realize at the time perhaps because I'm because I'm so intellectual but I remember when I first came back from the Netherlands you know a very old friend of mine said you now like yourself and I thought well I had never been aware that I didn't like myself <laughs> but but I trust I very you know this is a very old friend who knows me very well and I, I I trust you know I very much trusted her opinion this in a big sort of summary you know I would say was the effect that MDMA had not just on me but on many of us you know it was it was it was healing from that aspect you know people have always said are also saying now you know MDMA is being used to uh, to treat uh, post traumatic stress disorder it's possible that many of us were self medicating. Uh, for this. Now, the part that I was sad or, or that made me a little bit sad is that at the end I found myself in a very repetitive place where we just go to the clubs and take these things and then dance and say hi to people and 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 all you were all we were doing is we were locking each other in dark rooms in dark basements listening to the re- repetitive music and sort of bumping from each other again i had this experience of what does this look like from the outside mm, like the cannabis yeah the and and what does it look like from the outside is a bunch of place in a dark room they can't really talk because the music is so loud and they just they're smiling a lot and feeling good but they're sort of bumping in each other and also there are different stages of their experience because people were taking the, the the pills at different times. So there's never sort of, you know, there's some moments of collective, but in general it's sort of dis, disaggregated. Mm. And I thought a lot about, you know, how the early days of MDMA, people thought that this would be an amazing tool for, for uh, you know, for, for, for couples therapy, for people who had communication problems and all of this, and, and it, it absolutely is. Uh, and yet, it seemed like this part was being lost, the part of the physical contact or the getting a massage and all the wonderful things you can do at MDMA. Instead was reduced to, you know, let's go to a club and, and uh, which is again, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with this. But I thought, you know, in, in, um, you know, there's in the, in the Pacific Islands, there's Kava Kava, which is, you know, it's a sort of a slight calming, it has a calming effect. It's not very big, but it's that you definitely feel it. And you know when people are having problems and they're having there's and there's arguments and there's problems in the community, the two people that are arguing will be made to drink kava together and then with a third person there try to work their problems out. 
And I thought, how come this is not more present with MDMA? We have this amazing tool here for when people argue, (laughs) you know, and this happens in interpersonal relationships all the time. It would be so easy to say, hey, let's meet at my place. Let's both take MDMA and see if we can talk about it again. Yeah, yeah. But people do. I mean, in Dallas, it was legal. Mm. You know, a couple of therapists would use it. Uh, They would say, you know, don't get married under the Mm. influence. Um, And then, you know, there is a lot of underground uh, couple um, weekend where... um, you know, they, they receive couples and then there is actually mm. a questionnaire before, during and after. And with my wife, actually, uh, we, 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 you know, we did it like almost once a year. Now we haven't done for a while because I feel things that, you know, we have less issue now, we know each other mm. better. But back then, uh, it would be like a major reset because you would see the um, whatever discussion, whatever difference we would have you would, I personally, my experience was that I would see it from her point of view, and it really inc- increased empathy and bonding. Mm. So I was wondering when you were like taking MDMA with your friends, and you were saying uh, you were getting so close and loving each other, but then this incre- this increased feeling would not translate after when you guys were sober with, the, with that same pack of dog you spent all night hugging. Then the the relationship was improved after, or it was back to base. Well, I mean, this 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 is the thing, right? This is the reason why there was these teachers that said, "Don't get married until six weeks after ecstasy." You know, in the yeah. early in the early eighties, uh, yeah. in the in the college campuses, you know, when ecstasy was still legal. And this is the thing, and people, you know, somebody told me recently, "No, I mean, I don't like to take ecstasy because when I take ecstasy, I always end up falling in love with the, with whomever, whatever girl I'm talking to." And I said, "But this is not a problem of ecstasy. This is a problem of what company are you choosing for this very special experience." Right? This is what rapper are you doing? So now you have a substance that will make you get incredibly close, you know, and you can have an experience of, you know, real intimacy, you know. If you do it with your wife, you know, you will have something that, or someone you're very close to, then it will, ta- it will take it to the next level of possibility. But if you do it with a total stranger, you will get the intimacy, but then the next day you will regret it and think that it was all, that it was all just the effects of the drugs. You know, so you want to, and that's what you want to avoid, or I try to avoid. I try to avoid situations in which the experience will be diminished. Yeah. So you have to do it with be, people who you want to increase the relationship. It can be a friend. It can be, you know. So the, again, yeah. there is, there is, there is a, there is a, there is a better and worse times yeah. and places and ways to do these things. Yeah. And this is the part that I'm constantly sort of fascinated yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I see, I see a consistency in your mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Um. Also to be mentioned that um, MDMA, I don't know exactly the function in the brain, but it managed to separate the memory from the emotion attached to the mm. memory. So for PTSD, people that come from the war, they're now able to relieve the traumatic event, be able to process it somatically without the, without the strong emotion. Yeah, without, the would, the, without the fear. Without That's the fear. That's what you're saying. Without the it's fear. It's a fear blocker. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, the they call it the the Tuesday blues, right? The down in serotonin started to be that start to make it not worthy. It was just becoming harder and harder the two days after. And, but Rick Dublin once told me, listen, it gets only bad if you want to cope. If you take this two days after, you know, just n- no phone, no email, you don't have to cope with anything. Just mm-hmm. walk in the forest and long bath and listen to music. Then it's so. Then you don't have the down, and it actually is true. I tried once, yeah. uh, and, and and it's true. 
I was but, I was surprised, for example, that they were they were thinking of giving MDMA in hospice care, so to people who had like terminal cancer and stuff. And I and I talked to the scientists and I said, look, you know, I think this is kind of strong physically in the body to give to somebody who's very old or very weak, like when they have like a terrible crash three days later. And and he said, look, I'm convinced, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the crash has to do with the fact that people don't sleep. That they're mixing it with alcohol, smoking, blah 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 blah, and actually, and that the substance is not very pure, pharmaceutical, and and this is what, and that they try to get on with their lives. That the, you know, the actually in the, in those contexts, in you know, sort of a hospital context with a person with a pure substance, and you do it during the day, so the person sleeps at night, and you don't break the sleep cycle and stuff. He said this thing about the Tuesday blues doesn't even doesn't, figure. Doesn't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it's becoming now, um, I think they're doing uh, stage three trial in America. Mm. And they expect to be able to prescribe it legally as a medicine together with the, with the, with the psychotherapy. It's unstoppable. The, the, what, the legalization of MDMA? The eventual integration of these substances into our societies because they're simply too useful. They're simply too useful. Yeah. Then no, nobody, nobody, nobody's gonna go back. You know, yeah. nobody. You know, at least, at least not the people that know. You could, you could ramp up the war on drugs all you wanted. You could make the penalties so much worse. People would still be doing this. Because yeah, it's, it's not gonna go away. It's, it's gonna too, go underground. It, it's too useful yeah. and too important in their lives. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the big one. That's the the love of your life. So tell us about the relationship with ayahuasca. How did it start? How is it evolving? Yeah, so so basically, you know, this the 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 MDMA and the clubs and the electronic music and this was the '90s and that 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 took a good ten years of my life, and at the end it was getting repetitive and it was getting boring and it was always the same and I began to see myself from the outside and it didn't feel like I was learning so much and you know all of these things, and then I was collaborating I kept researching and I met uh, I met uh, Mark Ellum with whom I made the documentary and um, the ayahuasca documentary and he had been working on a documentary he's a uh, filmmaker about uh, traditional plant use he'd been in mexico so when we met we had we talked for hours we took mushrooms we went rollerblading you know we got along very very well and I, at this point i was taking a year off uh, from work i was taking a sabbatical and i said listen i'm taking a year off let's go back and do it i will you know I, i'm very interested in this so which year are we now this is más o menos 1999 I believe yeah 1999 and um and then you know so like six months later we were in Mexico um he had already recorded with the Wichols and with with Maria Mar- Sabina with mushrooms and the idea he had at this point was to make one film per plant mm, already back then eh? yeah and 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 at this point we wanted we went to look for salvia divinorum and what was left of traditional use of salvia divinorum in Oaxaca. We didn't find very much at that point. Uh, the, the the type of work that we we were doing looked very much like archaeology. You were looking for the last remnants of you know cultures and um, and, and and practices that you could see were much bigger before, but that now were reduced to very far away, very remote communities in South America or in Mexico where it still survived. We didn't find much and it was not mushroom season. We were in the Oaxaca mountains, but instead what we, but we ended up having a session with, uh, with, um, with, uh, with, uh, with, a, with a local curandero, a shaman. And what he gave us was Ololuiki seeds, which are the sort of uh, morning glory seeds. 
that's uh, the morning glory seeds have a, a a substance that is a precursor to LSD. It's called LSA. Actually, it's not the seeds that have it, but a fungus that grows on the seeds that is related to uh, to ergot. Mm. That's why that's why it's there. But that was my first experience in the sort of traditional shamanic, you know, South American context. So you know, we 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 took these plants, and uh, and um, you know, first of all, I would say about the effects. The effects were not very big compared to other things that I had taken. I wouldn't say it was a very strong psychedelic experience. There was a lot of body load. I was feeling very bad and sick and stuff. And also, my stomach, be- my my back began hurting like hell. The, the the injury. It was also high in the mountains during the night. It's humid. It's cold. We were sitting in not very comfortable, you know, chairs, etc. But we were sitting in front of the altar, and the it was just the three of us. And and the indigenous man, Don Eligio, begins to go in this sort of trance, and he's talking, and then he's singing, and and then he would stop, and he would look at me and say, now is your turn, Geronimo. What do you want to ask God? You, why are you here and what do you, want, what do you want to ask God for? And then he will go quiet. And at this point, you know, people who are tripping, will, who know tripping will understand this. I went into the mind loop. I'm like, what does it mean? Like, what do I have to ask? And why am I here? And who is God? And do I even believe in God? And why would I ask God if I believe in God? And when was the last time that I had God for it? And this turned into this just, and I just went, you know, I couldn't answer. I was just going, just, and he would just go back to his thing, you know, and then again, he would ask me, and then again, I would go into this total. So this was already pushing me in a, in a direction where I'd never gone with these substances to wonder about, you know, so many things. And at the same time, my back was hurting more and more and more and more and it got to a point where I was literally seeing like this this animal with very sharp fangs biting in my spine like oh, wow. just like just driving this it, it felt like that and it was there was a point where it just hurt so bad it hurt so bad as the night progressed that suddenly I knew what I wanted to do as God for and then, and then I raised my voice and I said, "Ayuda," which is help. <laughs> help in Spanish. And then suddenly, this man and his son, who was there, just mobilized themselves and they took me to the to this cot and they laid me down and they started like pressing and squeezing in different parts of my body and they wrapped me with this mix of lime and 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 uh, and tobacco which has just set my whole body on fire and you know so everything got really really confusing i was suddenly very very far away from my home in a very very strange place in a very very strange situation and these two people were doing things to me that i couldn't even you know begin to understand but in the middle of this you know absolute madness you know i had this thought that was like okay i don't know what the hell is going on i really don't but it looks like they do. It, it, you know, they are doing things. It looks like they know exactly what they're doing. So I'm just going to put myself in their hands. Nice. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, they, I'm just going to trust that these people know what they're doing because I for sure don't know what to do now, you know. And that was the, and that was the beginning of a sort of a, a very long, uh, 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 lifelong fascination with exactly this what they seem to know that they're doing that we don't know what's going on this 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 thing you know and and it was 
it was a before and after because as fascinated as I've been with these substances and as, as much as I've been able to have moments where I contact their potential, I've never been in, in, a, in an environment where actually all the incredible power of these substances was, was sort of driven, funneled into the idea of healing. This was not, you know, had been in parties, it had been about fun or about listening to music or about talking to friends or about fixing, you know, having deep conversations, blah, blah, blah. But it had never, I'd never been in circumstances where the, 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 the issue, the, the, the intention was directed towards healing and, 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 and the knowledge too. And this really... You know, I, I remember I woke up the next morning, you know, and, and then, you know, when I realized all this, I felt very, very white and very, very stupid. And I remember the interview we recorded with a man before and all the stupid questions that I had asked for this documentary and just how I was trying to poke at something, you know, that I couldn't even begin to understand, you know, that I just, that I, had, I, had, I had no clue. I was so embarrassed at the way we had shown up there with our cameras and the way I just sort of engaged these people as they were sort of humbly trying to explain to me something that I couldn't even begin to, to, to see, you know? And, you know, when all of these pieces sort of clicked together, um, I would say that that was sort of a, a yeah, that was, there was a beginning and there was a before and after in my life after that night. And it was the beginning of a very long relationship and a very long process, first trying to, see and experience and understand just what is it that traditional cultures know about these things and then trying to see through my work with the ICS Foundation just what parts of it you know can we learn from and be useful for us without going into this terrible place of taking things that are not ours or trying to copy you know uh, cultures and, 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 and practices that, that are that are that are culturally and territory based. But but so this um, this shaman and this morning glory, what's the active component and which tradition are there? This is the Mazatec. This is the Mazatec tradition. It's very rich. They have they have more plants other than mushrooms. Mushrooms are seasonal. They're not all year. So they also work with salvia. They also work with them. They showed me. They showed me. They also work with morning glory seeds. They showed me several different plants that they also work with that are not you know not as powerful as mushrooms, but but again. Like I said, it, the power was not in the in the substance that I took, but in the context yeah. and the wrapper yeah. and the intention of what was being done there. Yeah. Uh. And so you were fascinated about understanding what they were doing. And but do you remember? Do you remember the effect on you? Did they heal your backache? Yes. Okay. Yes, I got better. I threw up. I mean, all you know, all all sorts, Amazing. all sorts of all sorts of things happened that night. And when I woke up the next morning, I felt so absolutely wonderful you know in this afterglow of just, just having touched something so um human right and this is and this is and this is the other thing about it that like that what everything that i had witnessed and i had experienced far from seeming you know some sort of like you know strange you know uh, uh, strange traditions and superstitions of primitive people you know engage engage with you know with psychoactive substances in fact, where you know the opposite, it, it was a highly developed science or art, you know, or a mixture, a strange mixture of both, some sort of empirical art around how one work with the strongest plants in nature and the deepest parts in people. 
yeah. and how you could combine these things yeah. and make it create um, a relationship and and a container and a vehicle to make to make this not be just an interesting night or a great party but actually something truly transformative yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And so that that start your love affair with these practices, and and when was the first ayahuasca ceremony? So you know, Mex- we were we we were we were in Mexico for three months. The way the way we would do it, and it was a lot of fun. I would recommend anybody does the same if you have the time and that you say that you're making a documentary, <laughs> and that to have access. about about any topic that you find interesting, and that you take long tickets, and that you just have the first contact, which is what we did. Usually we had the, we knew who, we, you know, we had three months and we knew who the first person that we were gonna talk was. And then we would go and interview that person and we would ask, you know, who else should we talk to? And they said, oh, you should see whomever. And we would take a, a, a bus and go to see that person. And then that person would get you in touch with another person and then another person. And at the end of three months, this incredible trip had configured itself. Constellation, where you yeah. just talked to so many interesting people and had experiences and yeah. yeah. So first was Mexico, and then we got together again three years later. It was two thousand and three. So no ayahuasca on the first. No, three yeah, months. no, that was Mexico. Yeah. That was Mexico, and it was the it was the Ololuiki, uh, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and uh, and then uh, you know we said okay, what should we do next? And Mark said, I think we should do ayahuasca. He had he had tried ayahuasca at this point. I hadn't. And there was very, very little online about it. It was mostly about the Santa Daime. There was a very, very little information. 2002, 2003 now. 2002, yeah. 2003. So we went to Brazil. And, um, you know, first we went to Luis Eduardo Luna's uh, was He invited us. That was the first contact. So oh, that wow. was the contact that we had. So the first person that gave me ayahuasca was Luis, Luis Luna. Thank wow. you. Thank you, Luis. Look what you started. <laughs> Look what you set in motion. Um, and um and and my first and in my first ayahuasca experience you know two very sort of words just sort of popped in my head in the midst of you know of the effects as 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 i began to very very strongly feel the effects one was this the concept of mother which i must say hasn't hasn't come back just this word popped out in my head mother like this is a mother and then the other one was path. And I saw, I even saw like a path going into some woods, you know, and that, and that, and that was the, and that was the beginning of, a, and it was basically love at first sight, I would say, you know, that was the beginning of, a, you know, 20 year old relationship with ayahuasca. Uh, a very, very, and we've gone through all the stages of a relationship, you know, we've had the romance, then we've had the disappointment, then we have so the sure. return, then we had the like working with from different, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very long and very deep relationship. It's still surprising me. Um, I, yeah. So the, the, the thing that blew my mind about that trip in Brazil was that what, while what we were doing in Mexico looked like archeology, span we were trying to find something that, that looked like it was on its way to disappear. Ayahuasca in Brazil was the farthest thing from it. It was a booming, thriving culture, thousands of people. You know, the, the Unión de Vegetal, the church Unión de Vegetal has 20,000 members. You know, the Santa Daime temple was full. This was not at all, uh, uh, you know, something that was in danger of disappearing. Quite the opposite. This was very alive, thriving and expanding. So, you know, we started, we started with the churches and we visited all three churches at, at Luis Luna. We made friends with Benny Shannon, who wrote an incredible book about ayahuasca. Sadly, 
kind of forgotten nowadays. I think it's a really, really important, beautiful book. Do you remember the title? Of course, The Antipodes of the Mind. Yeah, we'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, The Antipodes of the Mind, charting the phenomenology of the ayahuasca experience. And he was a, he's a, he's a, um, a Israeli academic, the sort of polymath, speaks seven languages, done, but he was a, he was a professor of of, um, of uh, cognitive psychology who came to ayahuasca very late in life and who had no experience with drugs. And then he became fascinated and after 13 years wrote this book that is really a love, a, 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 as an academic, it's a solid academic piece and a love letter to this all at the same time. It's a really beautiful book. Mm. And where he attempts to do something that seems impossible, which is to make a map of everything that can possibly happen to you if you drink ayahuasca. That's what he called charting the phenomenology. Mm. And you say, okay, that's impossible. And then he goes and he does it in one book. It's really, really astounding, uh, uh, astounding piece. And also because it's full of like personal remembrances and stories that he heard from people. It's really, like I said, it's it's a, it's a love, it's a love story. But let's 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 uh, let's hear more about your personal experience. What was this? Why do you? What was this? Na- this word, mother. How do you interpret that? Was a sense of um, uh, being taken care of, being protected, being nurtured. It's hard to tell. And and it, it doesn't, you know, I, I would say that, you know, the, 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 the word that I absolutely can speak to or relate to, you know, and maybe this mother will have to come back or it's something that is working on, is path. And this is really, this was like that. I went on that path. I took that path. This was a, this was a path for me. And, 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 and it's been a lifetime path. Um, I, I, you know, in terms of, you know, for, for your psychedelic confessions, in terms, in terms of, I'm trying to think of, you know, because I've, of course, drunk ayahuasca hundreds of times and so many things have happened. So, you know, I'm trying to think about, okay, can I pick two or three experiences that were really, really, um, significant. And I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant because the most the most significant experiences I had, you know, the, the really two or three most significant experiences are also very sort of intimate. You know, it's, it's, and I'm not so sure um, that this stuff is, is not, it's not that it shouldn't be talked about, but that it, that, yeah. But I will get started and, and let's see, let's see where, where we get, having said that. Um, one one of the most um, significant um, experiences I had came when I had already been on this path for six or seven or maybe ten years. But just to ask you a little bit more color on the word path, I mean, do you have a sense of the destination? No. It was just an intuitive understanding that this medicine make me feel things, make me learn things about myself that I mean, it's definitely a path of no, no, self-improvement. Okay. I, uh, then I, I, no, what happened was that my life changed around. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the path. So, you know, when, 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 I, when I arrived in Ayahuasca, I, I, I found myself in this situation in my life where I'd basically, after very promising beginnings, I'd gotten stuck. So, you know, I did very well. I went to university, good grades, blah, blah, blah. Got a good job, was making lots of money. I was a network engineer, traveling the world. 
you know, and then I decided this is not what I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't want to be, I had a good career had I wanted to be, an, you know, a, a, a network engineer, but that's not what I wanted to do. So I took two years off with all the money I made. And theoretically in this, uh, uh, in this year, I was going to figure out what is it that I really wanted to do. I went, I started with the documentaries, that's when we did these travels, and then I spent all the money, I went back to Madrid, and actually I didn't have a plan, I didn't have a clearer idea of what I wanted to do at all. I had an idea of what I didn't want to do. I, I sat down and I tried to write my CV again to try to get another job as a computer engineer, and I just couldn't do it. So I didn't do it. And then I fell in this sort of vortex, you know, or a spiral, where I was partying a lot with a, a lot of very nice, very interesting people. My life wasn't going anywhere. Most of theirs wasn't either. That was also part of all the partying, you know? And this just sort of, I just got, I'm taking shit jobs here and there because I didn't, I was waiting for the real thing and this wasn't it, and this wasn't it, and this wasn't it, whatever was it that the real thing was. And okay, this is, this is nice and interesting and it's classical in your early 20s to be confused and not know what you want to do. But uh, this this went on for like six years and as it slipped into my 30s, you know, and I still, I was go I had gone from promising young man to cause of family concern. And, uh, and now at times of pushing or cajoling me could get me to like, you know, make a, a commitment or a decision or, or, or whatever it was. And I only had a clear idea of what I didn't want and no clear idea of what I wanted. This just got worse and worse and I began to feel quite bad about everything. Uh, but I didn't know how to get out of it. I was sort of trapped. And at this point, you know, there was the first trip with ayahuasca. And then on the second trip in Peru, I heard about the dietas. Now the dietas is a sort of, it's a sort of, um, it's called dieta, it's diet, it means diet, but it's basically some, you know, tra Am traditional Amazonian, it's a big part of traditional Amazonian medicine. It's actually much more important than ayahuasca. That's also something that we don't it's see. Traditional vegetalismo. Vegetalismo. Yeah. So in the dietas, you basically, it's a retreat. You, you spend, you know, one week to two months, three months, seven months, it can be very long. Basically in isolation, in a hut, in the jungle, you're alone. Your, your diet is very restricted. You cannot eat any salt, any sugar, any spicy food. The list is very long. Um, there's all sorts of restrictions. And you're taking plants that are given to you by this healer. So when I was there, you know... Sometimes I'm, just one. Sometimes just one, yeah. That is picked by the shaman according to your resonance. To your need, yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's, it's a big... And these plants are psychoactive, but in a very subtle way. They're not hallucinogens. They're not... They do have effects on, 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 on your body and your mind. But it's not something that is very, very... However, in the context of the dieta, they become very, very useful. So when I was there, we were doing research. I was still recording interviews, and I met this Catalonian pharmacologist who was doing his thesis on dieta plants, which are many. And we, I went with him, and I met different people that he had been interviewing for his research. And I heard about this dieta, which is called the dieta de palos. And that's... Palos means sticks. And it's basically a diet where they basically cook together, you know, two to, to 20 different uh, uh, trees, bushes, you know, that's why they're called sticks. You just cut the whole branch and chop it in pieces and throw it in the pot and you boil it and you end up with this very thick sort of brown liquid. And this is what you drink during the dieta. Now, in those societies, they did the palos dieta when people were feeling weak, when they needed to get strong. And sometimes for things like, you know, everybody there had to do two years of uh, mandatory military service. 
And for them, it was very, very hard. These were people from the jungle. They were considered, you know, there was racism in Peru mm. and it's the military and it's two years. So they got, the, the treatment they receive is really rough. So before they go in these two years that are going to be very difficult, they do one month palo dieta to get strong and to get ready for this. And then when they return after two years, then they do another month palo dieta just to sort of clean up and get strong again. Mm. And when I heard about this, I thought, oh, this is exactly what I need. Because it was beginning to look that what I was doing was not staying free, but actually rejecting commitment. I would not commit to a job. I would not commit to a profession. I would not commit to a woman. I would not commit because I wanted to be free to, that wasn't clear what I wanted to be free for. And at the end, my freedom had become a sort of museum piece that I was keeping at all costs by not taking a job, by not taking this. But, maybe, I didn't, but, but I wasn't doing much with it. Yeah. So I thought maybe this is what I need. I need I need a palos dieta to get strong and just come back and just be an adult. I'm 33, it's time to commit, get a job, get a woman, settle down, you know, these things. And that's what I thought that was sort of my plan. And basically, that's exactly what happened. I, I, I won't. I won't go into the details. The, the dieta is very long. There's some diaries. That we can put in, the link. Uh, which tradition was that? This was. This was. In, this was in the upper jungle. This is la mista tradition, um, which are where where. Quechua la mista. Quechua la mista, yeah. exactly. Where where the where the dietas are very very strong and the palos and ayahuasca is considered one more palo. You know, they they don't have this sort of. They don't put it in a pedestal at all. They consider it one more perch in a very large toolbox of plants. So. What happened was that my life was changing in this path. And that, so the, 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 the path that I followed was how can I continue to learn and use, you know, these plants and be in relationship with these plants in order to, you know, get out of all of these holes that I managed to get myself into, all of these things in my life where I'm stuck. Hmm? So that went that went did that it went, work out it worked out fantastically you know i went i did that dieta when i came back it was horrible i spent three months in the jungle and uh, when i came back it was horrible everything was the same i went into a deeper sort of crisis about nothing has changed and i'm still stuck and then suddenly four months later everything began to change and i found a job that i loved in a fantastic place and you know, and nine months later, you know, I asked my girlfriend to get married, and then she got pregnant, and then one year later, I was married and <laughs> married and with a kid and with a job that I really liked, and I was and I was still, you know, going deeper and deeper on my free time and on my vacations. I was returning to the jungle with and was, the same uh, tribe, same people, yeah, okay. doing more doing more dietas, and also I kept recording for the documentary, recording more interviews. I kept researching all of the anthropology the history of all of this, which is absolutely fascinating, how the jungle got colonized, where these things came from, how these things moved from place to place, and, and even became sort of, went down all sorts of other wormholes, like why in the dieta no salt? What is it with salt? Which groups know salt and not? What, are, what is the, ro the role of salt in society, which is absolutely fascinating? Mm -hmm. You cannot have an agricultural civilization without a, a, a source of salt. So salt is, you know, as we understand, sort of urban civilization and salt, go hand in hand. And this is why when indigenous people take you to the jungle, they take the salt away. Because the, uh, there's something there's something biochemical that is also happening there. But if there's something there's something about uh, I won't, it's a long story. Yeah. Um, so my life changed. Yeah. And I went in this path and I was very committed. And then something like I don't know, ten or twelve years into it, I was 
in the jungle drinking ayahuasca with this indigenous shaman. And then that night, I had like a crisis of, of faith. So, you know, I started feeling the effects and I started feeling sick. And then I thought, why, why am I doing this? Like, I, do I really actually enjoy this? Like, I'm feeling terrible right now. The my, same feeling of looking from outside. And, and, and my stomach there. is queasy. And, you know, and I'm just sort of like, and just this sort of, because, you know, ayahuasca is not, you know, it's, a, it's, um, it's not a walk in the park. I think I think the main difference between ayahuasca and other psychedelics is that other psychedelics like mushrooms and are very much working on the on the on the mind on the mental. They don't have much of an effect on the body. But the ayahuasca, because it's the DMT plus the beta carbolins, the effects that it have has on the body are just huge. So the body is being engaged, and that's what separates it from other psychedelics. And that's for me what makes it really powerful because again. I had an issue of too much mind and, 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 and a plan that would, you know, make sure that the body was present totally. was very useful, very important totally. for me. Totally. So I was feeling... Because, the, because the, you know, now we know, and Gabor Mate is a big uh, proponent of this idea that, you know, the body keeps the score, mm. the body knows, the somatic, the third millennium is maybe the millennium of the body and, mm. and, and how we have been separated mm. from this, uh, you know, mm. the Newtonian Cartesian way of living and... So yeah, I never thought about that. So I was feeling horrible, and uh, and and then suddenly I found myself doubting, like, why do I drink ayahuasca? Like, I don't even do I like this? Like, it's always it's often so difficult. Do I even like this? And then suddenly, like, the entire experience stopped, and I felt that I was being that ayahuasca like took a step away from me yeah. and was sort of waiting for me to decide. Well, do you do you like this or not? Yeah. And then I went to this, well, maybe I don't like this, like, you know, and also, you know, it's been a difficult night. I'd be, I was I was sort of, I went into this cynical place, like suddenly the shaman seemed to me like just one more guy singing, not so well. Yeah. And the whole, and you know, I thought that I had had some visions that, that later I found, but then I realized that it was all just my head trying to pull together threads and stories and narratives. And suddenly the whole thing just seemed like, like like collapse, like maybe this is the end, maybe it's been a good 10 years with traditional Amazonian medicine, but today is the last day and I'm gonna move on with my life. Yeah. And and uh, and, um, and 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 thank you very much, but I'm done with this. And this yeah. this became, you know, a real issue. But why? Mm-hmm. why? Why maybe it was true. Maybe it was a, uh, you know So I was so as as I was trying to think, you know, about this and I was even trying sort of because you know sometimes with ayahuasca you can ask questions. So yeah. you can I asked. I was asking ayahuasca like is this is this it? Are we breaking up? Is this are we over? You know, is it, is this over? You know, and I was I was sitting down, and I suddenly I saw myself like I was sitting down, yeah. and I was at the and and in front of me there was this giant foot, and this foot led up to this gigantic woman, and this gigantic woman was poking me with a giant finger on on my shoulder and saying, "Hey, this stuff that you're asking me, that's for you to decide. Don't ask me. Mm. Are we breaking up?" That's for you to decide, mm. you know? So it was a terrible night, very, very difficult. And then in the, you decide? in the morning, as as the sun came up, you know, I found myself, I had a, a wedding ring and I was playing with it. And I often used to play with, uh, with my wedding ring. And I was playing, I was playing with this and I suddenly found myself holding this ring and making a promise. And I promised that I was always going to protect these plants 
and the people and culture from where they originate. Mm. And this was something that came out of, you know, my own going through the experience and coming out and the whole difficult night and realizing, no, absolutely, this is the process. I'm still in process. I'm still working with the plants. This is exactly, you know, and not only that, I am fully committed to this. I see. It was one of the typical things. We go deeper or we're breaking down? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was, it was a leap of faith or it was a crisis. Anyway, that was just something I did that night. And then I didn't think about it uh, very much. Then six or seven years later, I, I, I did a dieta. And then at the end of this dieta, there was an ayahuasca ceremony, the last ayahuasca ceremony. I came pretty tired. It'd been a long, hard dieta. I was not really, again, even in the mood to drink ayahuasca or to have a long night and all of this. And, um, and you know, they, they, they served me the cup and when I drank it, immediately, and sometimes this happens, immediately I knew that, you know, every once in a while, you know, you have, you know, lesser ayahuasca experiences and sometimes you have really strong ayahuasca experiences and every once in a blue moon, you have a really, really strong ayahuasca experience. It's sort of magic. It, it, it's not so, it's not tied to those really. It's not tied to, you know, some, of course, more bigger cup usually is more, but not even. There's something strange about ayahuasca there. You cannot, there's no mathematics to this. Every yeah, once in a while, every once in a while, you will have, you know, just one hell of a night and you don't know why. And, but you know, you know soon. And I knew very soon, like, oh shit, that this is going to be one of those nights. And, and I was not, up for it, I, you know, I was trying to like, okay, let's relax like this because when I have those nights, the, the the physical experience is very, very strong and I ended up just sort of twisted like a pretzel. It's very, very difficult, hyperventilating, my whole body goes numb and then goes to sleep. I mean, you lose, you lose, I'm very glad to be sitting in the dark in a room while, while somebody's taking care of me and nobody can see me because, you know, I turn into, this shit turns into, I don't know what to call it, you know, the, the child of the exorcist. It gets quite intense. So it was beginning to happen and my, my, my arm, my, all my sort of limbs were sort of contracting backwards and I was beginning to get really, really rigid and this terrible sort of beating pulse in my stomach and my whole body was falling asleep and I felt like I was about to faint. And I was thinking, you know, okay, I know, we know we know what this is, you know, and then when this happens, it's like you can't resist, you can't hyperventilate, you can't, you can't go into fear, right? You just have to sort of like just surrender, breathe slowly, don't freak out and don't try to welcome it. You have to welcome all of these negative sort of... Uh, effects because otherwise you're you're going to hell so i'm very concentrated just trying not to lose it when suddenly i hear a voice and the voice says now pay attention because this is very important and then i saw the wedding ring and the wedding ring had like a like a like a like a band, you know, sometimes in flags, you see that there's like a sort of a lace that has words written in it. Yeah. It was like one of those things. It was like a lace with words written in it and it was wrapped inside the ring and it was hanging off the ring. It was the, the wedding ring with this sort of lace with words. And a voice said, you made a promise that you were always going to defend um, these plants and the people and culture from whom they originate. And, you know, I was sort of, I had to, think about it for a second i was like uh, mm. uh yes i did 
do you now confirm this promise? And I had to think about it for a second as well. And I said, mm, uh, sure, yes. And suddenly I was back in my body. The room was completely back to normal. All my physical effects had disappeared. And I just come back from, I don't even fucking know what to call it, this sort of Game of Thrones hallway of, you know, indigenous people would say the house of ayahuasca, probably. Mm. So, and everything had gone away, all of the physical effects. So it almost felt like in order to reach that place, you know, I had to be, my body had to be, my physical body had to be twisted <laughs> into into this sort of, I don't know what to call it, vibrational shape, go figure what, where I could just, just access that place for, you know, 30 seconds, you know. And I came back and I thought, just, you know, 15, 16 years drinking, you know, for a 30 second audience. <laughs> but so, so this message, where do you, did it come from a part of you that was activated or did it come from a, an independent sentient spirit? Exactly. What do exactly. you think? This is the big question, right? Nobody knows. This, this is the big question. My answer is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter because it can it, be epistemological. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if I went to the home of Yahé and I, and I and I made a promise in front of Ayahuasca herself, or if because this was really important for me, my subconscious conversation with whatever I was making this promise to myself, and I was doing that, you know, in front of whatever I held most sacred, and it was presented to me symbolically. It really doesn't matter. What really ma and and not only it doesn't matter. By trying to discern this, you would go crazy and never and miss the point. And miss the point because you need to basically act on the message. Exactly. What are you going to do about it? What does this mean and what are you going to do about it? Because it's meaningful regardless whether it's a spiritual or subconscious, it is still equally meaningful in a very personal way, right? So I would add I would add one more sort of layer for people that 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 uh, that know ayahuasca. And 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 and, uh, and know this, and is that um, somebody who I uh, respect very much told me that no messages that come from you know this person would call it the spiritual world ever come in the shape of an order or a command. So if you feel that ayahuasca is telling you something, then most likely that's you having a conversation with your ego. However. If you find yourself in a very strange place and an option is presented before you, that's the realm of the spirit. spirit. So for me, this is also very important that, you know, the first promise, I made it out of my own free will. This is something I did because I wanted to at the end of a long night. And then seven years later, what I had was an option. Not a command, not, hey, I have a mission for you. Hey, you have to, no, 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 no. Do you confirm or not? Because you can. So I was even going, it was actually a second chance. It's like, do you want to back out on this promise? Or do, or, or do, or do you want to confirm it? So, you know, I think we're getting to the end. I, I, will, I will close up yeah, but with, I want, a, with a I summary. Want, um, no, before you summarize, mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to go a little bit deeper on this concept of... Um, it doesn't matter, you know, you said ultimately, it doesn't matter if you believe that that's the spiritual realm or is uh, your higher self. It's not, it's, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's, it's not the most important it's question. It's not the most important question. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. 
okay, you're f- clearly aware about the debate in physics about you know mind and matter. No, is it the brain that creates consciousness, or is a pre-existing consciousness that can be cosmic that mm. created the humans and the brain? Which one you think it is? The thing is, I don't see that I. You're I'm, not interested. In no, that. I'm. I'm very for for me. For me, the, the the interesting question with these plants is this and this experience is not what what are they, but what are you going to do with but it? Intellectually, the origin of consciousness doesn't you interested you so much. I even have problems with the with the whole. I'm not even sure when this whole consciousness debate already loses me. I see. So I'm 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 very mental but very practical. But do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Yes. Do you feel? Do you think there is life after death? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. <laughs> do you think spiritual? Um, do you think a spiritual practice helps with healing? Only if done correctly. But so, okay. Can you elaborate on that? Because it's like all tools, you know, like the plants, like fire, like the knife, like everything else. There is a, there is a way where mm-hmm. it, where it can open doors and and increase, and there's a way where it can just be a distraction, a bypass, and and, and, and a loop, and, or or even just a sort of loophole, you yeah. know, or escape from you know deep childhood, whatever traumas that lead you to you know the, all of all of that is playing at the same time. You know, we're we're caught in this dimension. But when you one. say when you say you consider yourself a spiritual person, that means that you believe on a on a on a on a on a design, on a cosmic design. I mean, what does it mean to be? What does it mean for you to be spiritual? Uh, once, once, once I got I, I got in this terrible fight with a, with a, with a, um, in the jungle with a with a seminary student that I met. He was studying to be a Catholic priest, and I tried to explain to him that I had reached the conclusion that the truth was not A or not A, that the truth was A and not A are truth at the same time, so that God was real and God was just a projection of human imagination. And, it doesn't matter. and the both things are true at the same time. And he was real and he was, n- and he was nothing but a projection. And that the, the, the spirits that the shamans talk about, they are true, absolute, you know, and at the same time, they're nothing but figments of our subconscious, blah, 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 blah. And this drove the priest absolutely but crazy. Which, which- Cultural background is uh, producing this belief of what you just described. Of is is it God is true and at the same time not true? It's like Ramana Maharshi non-dualism. I have no idea. I don't. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how I arrived to this. But this, this seems to me to be like the the, the the integrating truth. And this is and this is this is also how I. This is also why I avoid these discussions. Because they're absolutely true, both of them. I mean, there's a very interesting sort of reading of all of the experiences with plants from a purely psychological reading, and what they're saying is true. And then there is a sort of a, 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 a spiritual, astral, energetic reading of it, and it's also true. And both things are true at the same time. So what I try to do in my own process, because at the end, that's all that matters. It's not that I convince anybody or that is what. How am I going to live? You know, how am I going to live? It's 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 is that I go back to that question instead of getting stuck in but is it this or is it that? Well, whatever it is, I still have to choose. Yeah. Okay. What I'm trying to ask you here is um you know, for you said that 
you know, the ultimate truth can be A and B at the same time. A and not A. A and not A at the same time. But then when I ask you, are you a spiritual person? You say yes. Yes. But so what does it mean? That's a no. Um, what, 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 what does it mean? I, for I, you. For since, me. since, the, since it doesn't mean existence, belief in the existence of spirit. I, no, I believe in spirit, and I also believe part of what we call spirit is completely just sort of projections of the human. But that already you put part. So there is a spirit bigger than us. Yes, I know. Okay, but so that acknowledgement uh, is what I think is useful for leading your life, because then ultimately you feel closer to your fellow human being. Ultimately, you feel closer to the biosphere, to the ecosystem. You feel you have purpose. I think it helps to live a meaningful life being con- you know being aware that I would say consciousness came before matter you would say an understanding of spirit um yeah no absolutely and and what what's really important for me m- much more much more than consciousness because I, I have from scrappling with this is meaning. meaning. Meaning as a concept is in- incredibly important with, for me. The crisis that I was having where I couldn't choose a job and I couldn't had everything to do with meaning. You know, this, 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 this for me is absolutely, it is the, 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 the skeleton that holds life mm. is meaning, right? And I intuit that there's an order and of meaning Bigger than and, us. And this is what I call God. But because my intuition is so poor, you know, and I'm only literally just sort of grappling at the edges, you know, of it, I try not to not to think about it so much, but to ask myself the question, how do I align with this? How so how do I get myself aligned with this order that starts in the physical? Yeah. And then and then goes to other levels. And so. and how do you do that? Drinking plants, <laughs> drinking plants, talking to people, is, and also, you know, in a, in a, in a, in and a, respecting your vow with the plant, helping with ICE years. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't close, but this was before I became a, a full time employee of, of, of ICE years, and now very much, you know, this, this, the, the promise that I made has turned into, you know, quite a big job <laughs> that I, that I tirelessly uh, work at. Uh, through my work in the ICS Foundation. Very nice. That was very interesting. Um, we still have a couple of substance that maybe we can touch quickly. Mm-hmm. I'll just mention all the three of them. San Pedro, tobacco, and coca leaves. Do you have any personal, memorable experience you want to share? I mean, the most memorable, I would, lo- I would love to tell um, a coca story. Yeah. Um, I was uh, lucky enough towards the end of the documentary project, you know, the wonderful thing about making documentaries I worked in four was the access that they give you and, and the places that you can go. And then on this last project, this was for me the real sort of coming of age trip in the Amazon because this, this, this time I really went to one of very far remote indigenous community that you very traditional that you couldn't reach except by a small airplane and that you would never be able to visit if you didn't have the proper permits and the proper access what's the name of the is it's in the river piraparana they were barasana people so this is the big tucano uh, complexes i mean i can talk about this for hours but it's the vaupes is the colombia is the, the colombian vaupes 
But over there, you know, we were staying at the big Maloca, which is astoundingly large. And it's the Malocas that you see in the Rachel Dolmatov books and the pictures from the 40s and the 60s. And every night the men gather to, uh, after work, they gather to uh, to uh, do mambe, which is the coca powder which they prepare. And this is, a, you know, the, the, it was, we were all sitting in the dark of this, you know, just a small flame, very, very large maloca. And then first they would bring the baskets of coca leaves that had been freshly prepared, freshly picked, and then they had to be they had to be dried in this in this round earth thing, and that took a long time because you have to dry it but not burn them, and you have to be moved all the time. And the entire place fills with this delicious smell of toasted coca leaves. You know, and then they're put into this giant thing where they're beaten up and brought. I mean, the entire process from leaf to actually, you know, a bowl of mambe that we could have takes about two and a half hours. And through this, you're everybody's talking and people are commenting and they're doing rapé and then and then and then finally the bowl arrives, and you just you know you fill your cheeks with this thing that tastes delicious. It's like spirulina. It's freshly made. I mean, I can't even begin to you know how good this is. And and um, and then because of the way it is, you know, that's again the wisdom in this is that it is slow released. It keeps all of the incredible amount of vitamin. There's more calcium than milk in 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 coca leaf. There's more vitamin D than I mean. It's insane how how healthy it is, and you're keeping all of that. And also the way the way that you put them in your cheek, this means that the release of the cocaine. You know, it's actually very, very slow. So you never go to those places Western people do, which is like, you know, you know, snorting coke up your nose, which is the equivalent of drinking pure ethyl alcohol instead of a beer. It's like, why would you, you have wine, you know, why would you drink pure alcohol? It's stupid. Just, you know, and wine tastes good and same difference. And this would take to everybody to this place of quiet, relaxed attention, which is also the opposite of what you associate with cocaine. And then the, the the issues of the day would begin to get discussed, mm. and they would just go around very slowly. And it was incredible the how I I was astounded of how well I was listening. I didn't know this experience. Hundred percent present. I didn't know this experience of actually really being able to listen quietly with no anxiety, no desire to say anything back, no judgment, no judgment, not just listening. And that's what they were doing. And what they're doing is they're building consensus. They're coming to the agreement as a community of what went on. And, what, and everybody takes the turn to speak and everybody listens intently and this goes on. And I was so, again- We should you know, go to the parliament and I, the Congress and I, the lower I, house. I, again, you know, I, I had you know the, 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 the very powerful feeling that this was one of the most civilized things that I'd ever seen. You know, far from being, you know, an odd practice of a faraway tribe that anyway, you know, that was not part of civilization, whatever. This is what real civilization looks like, you know. And um, amazing. Amazing. So to conclude, um, if someone had a similar experience than you and want to dedicate their life to help those plants, what would you recommend them? To send a CV to you, to IC years, or uh... to just keep following the path. I mean, what, what, what can I say? I, I cannot, you know, I, I didn't. Many of the things that have happened to me found me. Mm. 
Because you were ready to listen. Because I was already in the right position. So, you know, that's also what I would say, you know. And, you know, I, 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 I left that out of the story. But, you know, my collaboration and I here started completely organically. They called for me and then they called for me again. And then, and then, and then here I was. So, you know, I, I cannot, I, I, of course, take credit for my efforts and for, and, and, and for, and for my career, But I also understand that I, that the most important things that have happened to me were not exactly my decisions. You know, that doesn't mean that I'm free to not take any responsibility. I had to own everything. But the most important things that happened to me were not exactly decisions that I took. Mm -hmm. So there is something about um, being open in receiving, um, you know, like more maybe with your body, try to lose, you know, be less intellectual about things. One one person who I love dearly that, that died recently who taught me a lot about this, she put it in terms of transparency. Mm. She said, then you have, and this is a person that was very much in the spiritual understanding of things. She said, you have the, the messages and the, and the learnings that come from the spiritual world. And then when they come through you, it's like a window And then if the window is dirty, you know, the light just doesn't get through the same and the message gets twisted. So very often people will get valid insights from ayahuasca and they get twisted by their egos and, man is, yeah. and manipulated into something else. So the work is not, you know, how do I understand what, what ayahuasca It's is saying, but how do I become transparent enough? How do I get out of the way yeah. so that so that you yeah. can really be guided? Yeah. And how in, do you do in, that? In instead of instead of following the, yeah. the, the how do you clean the windows? With well, med I mean, meditation, the, 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 the with, yeah, with, yeah, with with dietas, with this, you need you need to yeah. you need regularly to break from life yeah. and take the time where you can listen, you can listen to yourself, and you can listen to other things. That for me yeah. is the dietas. You know, I do them yeah. every year. Because what I think dirts in the windows is your reactivity and your triggers. Yeah, and your ego, everything, memories. And so reactivity and triggers are rooted in childhood trauma, mm. Gabor Mate would say. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to do some work on that. Yeah. And, but, also, but also your desires and your secret hopes and aspirations and your ambition, you know, all, all of the, you know, your, you know, how do you want to be seen and perceived by others and how do you, blah, 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 blah. But all, this is personality or reaction to trauma? Both. How do you want to be seen? Both. Yeah. And oh. and then it depends for some people more trauma for yeah. some for other people compensation overcompensation yeah. you know undercompensation yeah. yeah. you know some people want to hide for the, all the wrong reasons and some people want to 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 be seen for all the wrong reasons yeah. yeah but so can you can you invite people to join the dieta center is it open to the public mm, I'm very I'm private it, it's a, it's a it's a small organization they don't need more people, need more people. you're you're going to have to need Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to, everybody's going to have to find their own path. Yeah. And that's half the fun. And that's half the fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. But I would, but I would say is that, you know, if you be careful with your car mechanic and you're careful with the lawyer and you're careful with your doctor, be very careful with your shaman and your traditional doctors. You know, look at them, ask questions. Are they young? Are they old? Yeah. Do they look experienced? And most important, yeah. you know, do they look like they care for you? Yeah. Yeah, the problem you know, is that you know, for car mechanic and lawyer and etc., you have Yelp or something, but there is no Yelp for shaman yet. But anyhow, if people are serious about wanting to do a dieta, do the research, 
start asking and you'll find you'll find the right place yeah. for you because again it's the circumstance do you speak the language do you speak spanish have you been to the jungle before can you be you know are you afraid of bugs you know all of these things will very much you know change your experience so yeah. there's not there's not a one size fits all advice that can be given other than from the place where you are what does it look like to you know to spend some time alone in the middle of the jungle and then if that seems a bit iffy then maybe you should go to more commercial you know uh, established uh, centers that are near Iquitos, which is a number of them and they're very well established and if you say no i'm asleep i sleep outdoors all the time whatever then maybe you can just go and find somebody in a, in a more remote community but it depends on the person fantastic thank you very much Geronimo. i think we have room for a third episode Thank you very much for your time and your knowledge you. and your wisdom and for respecting your promise. <laughs> Thank you, Giancarlo. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Coca sunarai sunarai en ti. 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 Coca sonarai sonarai en ti Coca sonarai sonarai en ti